0: I'm kind of recording the two episodes sort of back to back the other one was done at I don't know seven-ish and I'm recording this at 12 so the only reason I'm telling you that is it's a little early so if there's some breaking news I'm either gonna do a breaking news podcast or I just missed it so if you' are why isn't he talking about it because um, I recorded this a long time ago that's noon not midnight but'm um, I'm, I'm I'm very tempted to launch real hard into the season content but Um, I want to at least dip our toe a little bit in the upcoming games, especially the NFC games, just because obviously that has some pretty big impacts for us. Again, I don't want to go through all the games, but, um, as far as the Eagles and Buccaneers, 49ers, Cowboys, Cardinals, and Rams, any news as far as suspensions, COVID injuries, um, whatever it is, it's going to be pretty massive, right? And so just trying to familiarize ourselves, uh, as entirely as possible with the upcoming teams. And keeping an eye on them, um, kind of see how this whole thing is going to shake out. I want to just, at, at the very least, again, make sure we're doing that. So it is probably a little bit early for this because guys are coming off of COVID real, real early these days. And um, we've got, let's see, well, as of the rec- this recording, we got four days, eh, that's pushing it. But uh, we'll start off with the Eagles. They've got a actually a really big list here of guys that have not come off the COVID list yet. Um, The latest that was added was the fourth, so these guys could be getting ripped off any minute now, Um, but there's a lot of guys. Uh, Those people include Jack Stoll, tight end, Alex Singleton, linebacker, Boston Scott, running back, Rodney McLeod, McLeod, whatever, uh, he's their starting safety, Um, Avanti Maddox, cornerback, Jordan Howard, running back, Nate Herbig, guard, Marcus Epps, um... Safety, and and listen, a lot of these guys are big-time players, man. Uh, Fletcher Cox is on the COVID list, has not been taken off. Uh, Gennard Avery, and finally, Dallas Goddard. So, again, every single one of these guys could potentially come off, but um, that's a massive list, and a lot of these guys are serious, serious football players. Um, I mean, just look at the three DBs, Marcus Epps, um, Avanti Maddox, and Rodney McLeod, McLeod, whatever. These guys are all starters. They're all starting DBs. That's three starting DBs that are on the COVID list and are still not off yet. Um, They did just recently get Jason Kelsey back. That was obviously a massive win for them. But uh, you know, you got Jordan Howard, who uh, he he didn't even start playing until week eight. So you got a fresh set of legs in Jordan Howard. He's having a pretty good year so far, at least as far as what he's done. Um, Could be a real big asset for them up against Tampa Bay. He's on the COVID list. Herbig is a starting right guard. I mean, he's moved all over the offensive line. He hasn't always been a starting guy, but he has been basically since like week 10-ish. They played him at center for two weeks and then right guard the last four weeks. He is a starter. He is on the COVID list. And all these guys have been added to the list. Um, Let's see, it's all the third and the fourth. Almost every single one of these guys, with the exception of Dallas Goddard, was added the third. So that was a, a giant wave that went through um so anyways and of course you can't forget Fletcher Cox who you know is not the same Fletcher Cox he uh he had his last real big year probably 2019 started to see the regression in 2020 and then this year it's um pretty big drop off but he's still Fletcher Cox right he's still it's still a giant drop off just in terms of knowledge in terms of depth and in just straight up talent um you know he's accounted for 41 pressures four sacks it's not like he's doing nothing out there So I think for all of our sakes, unless you're scared of the Eagles, we're all kind of hoping that those guys come back because um, you cannot have, regardless of what the Buccaneers are going through, you can't have that many people out, especially when you're talking about Fletcher Cox and a pile of DBs up against Tom Brady. That ain't great. As for the Buccaneers, they've only got two guys out. Uh, One of them, however, is Shaquille Barrett, and he actually just got added on the 8th. So that's fairly recent. That is uh, three days ago for me, four for you. Shaquille Barrett has been an absolute force in the league for quite a while. In fact, um, when he left Denver, that was one of the guys I wanted because his his production was as good as it was, and he was kind of a rotation, kind of similar to uh, Zadarius, where he didn't really get all the opportunities, but I loved the numbers. Goes to Tampa Bay, and he's just absolutely been a wrecking ball. Um, the numbers have declined slightly. I mean, He had 20 sacks in 2019, which is stupid. Um, 98 pressures in 2020, which again is stupid, but still 75 pressures and 11 sacks on the season. He hasn't played since week 16. Clearly a force. Um, Again, I expect him to be back. I'm sure Tampa Bay with their um, ethical standards would never do anything unethical in terms of pretending he's okay or anything like that. I'm sure that they would be very thorough in making sure that he is actually okay to return, but it's pretty big. As for the 49ers, um, also just two guys. One of them is Raheem Mostert, who has uh, not done anything at all this year. The other was fifth-round pick Diamadore Lenoir, uh, the Oregon Duck. And uh, he's played, but not a ton. So San Francisco is coming in without um, anything major as far as the COVID list goes. Looking at their opponents, the Dallas Cowboys, they've got a pretty extensive list. Uh, Some of these guys are having a hard time getting off, including Brandon Smith, wide receiver. He got put on two days after Christmas and is still not off yet. Uh, Francis Bernard, same thing. Hunter uh, Nieswander, punter, was put on the 28th. Then you've got another big pile. you got Josh Ball, the tackle, Josiah Bronson. Micah Parsons is obviously the biggest, was added on the 5th. Anthony Brown, the sixth, Tyron Smith, the sixth, Darian Thompson, the eighth, and J. Ron Curse, the eighth. So, I mean, that's that's um, most of these guys aren't that big of a deal, but um, you start talking Micah Parsons, who's been arguably the best pass rusher in football this year. You start talking Tyron Smith, who is just an absolute phenom of an uh, offensive tackle. These are very, very major names. Again, assuming they're going to come back, but this is, it's, it's a big deal. Arizona Cardinals only have three names, but it is Tanner Viejo, Zach Kerr, and Max Williams. Tanner is a pretty horrible football player, but he does play quite a bit, so it's uh, one of those situations where maybe they're better, maybe they're worse, I have no idea, but um, it's a guy that they want to play that's not available currently. Zach Kerr, interestingly enough, uh, was playing for the San Francisco 49ers for half the year, Um, Before coming over to Arizona and only played three games, hasn't played since week uh, 13, but I I don't know. He's been out for a lot of reasons. And then Max Williams, kind of similarly, this is a major blow, unfortunately, for Arizona. Uh, The guy hasn't played since week five, anyways. So a few names, a few big names, but uh, nobody that is, at least nobody that's been a contributor for this team up to this point, anyway, so it's not that big of a blow. And finally, the LA Rams, completely healthy. Not a single player. Um, They have a massive and very extensive list, but um, everybody has been taken off the list. So they're good so far. Going in reverse order, looking at some other um, important details for these teams. Um, Safety for the LA Rams, Jordan Fuller did get a season-ending injury. That is their starting safety. He's played 1,028 snaps, has a 74.3 overall grade. He's done for the season. It is an ankle injury uh, that's going to require surgery. So again, that's these are all giant blows at this point in the season to be losing. Even if they're not that good of players, losing starters is tough. I mean, for example, if you look at Darnell Savage and you say he's not having that good of a year, if we lost Savage, I think we'd be in serious trouble. I do. I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem. Uh, looking at the Dallas Cowboys, it looks like they're planning on having Tony Pollard back for the uh, wild card game. So some positive news for Dallas which they don't need, having hung 50 points on two teams the last three weeks. The only other news about Dallas is that they're concerned about their kicker, so um, keep your fingers crossed for a soul-crushing loss in which a uh, something as simple as an extra point is missed because apparently Greg Zerline has been struggling, um, and Jerry Jones has kind of come out and even said that the options are open. I don't know how much you can do at this point in the season, but clearly some shaken confidence there. As for Tampa... Um, Actually, sounds like Leonard Fournette will be coming back for the wild card. I was not expecting that, but that's the thing apparently, unfortunately. Not a whole lot going on there, aside from, obviously, Antonio Brown bailing on the team. So that's that's another thing. And then finally for the Eagles, um, first of all, they did lose Tyree Jackson for the season with a torn ACL. He's not their primary tight end, but it is, it is a loss for them. Uh, they also lost wide receiver J.J. Arcega-Whiteside with a finger injury. They put him on the injury uh, injured reserve list, and uh, that's about it with that. So anyways, there's just kind of where these teams are hovering at right now. And again, I'll keep an eye on that and just see if there's any new developments that uh, might tip the balance one way or another. Anyways, um, in continuation with what I had said about how there seem to be some pretty strong parallels, and in fact, I don't know of any real contradictions as far as... PFF saying somebody had a good day and, and Matt LaFleur saying they had a bad day. Um, I gave several examples in the past. I gave an example a couple days ago about how he was not seemingly very happy with Josh Myers and PFF gave him a pretty bad grade. Here's another example, though. We went over the highest grades um, so far or in the in the last whatever, in the last game we went over the grades. And I've mentioned Josiah DeGuarra snuck into the top five and how awesome that was and um, Once again, Matt LaFleur did not disagree. I want to play the sound clip for you. This isn't necessarily about bragging about PFF. I just want to play the clip for you. But again, I'll mention that. I know there's a lot of skeptics, and I know there's plenty of reason to be skeptical. But the point is, there seems to be a pretty, not one-to-one, but a relatively strong correlation between the work PFF is doing in terms of grading and what um, Matt LaFleur and his staff are doing with grading. It's not just complete made-up garbage nonsense that everybody laughs at. It's... um, I mean, it's, it's, it's grading, right? But uh, here's a clip from Matt LaFleur talking about Mr. Josiah Deguara. If you guys didn't know I'm a pretty big fan of Josiah's. Josiah is definitely getting better and better each and every week. Deguara, touchdown! You know, I thought he just played his probably his best game this season. Screens it out, left side Guara turns up field 40. He's to the 40-5, into the clear, to the 40, to the 30. He's done a great job throughout this entire year He's just growing every single day, every single game. And he plays his heart out all the time. And you know, I think that's what we as as teammates, you know, respect the most out of him. Just how hard he goes out there, how much he cheers, how much he loves. So his. I wanna use this as a little bit of a segue. Um that was Alan Lazard speaking in the second portion there. And I don't know, I guess I could have cut out the highlight reel that you couldn't see, but it's still good to hear it. But I want to use it as a segue because I talked about yesterday a little bit that some guys are getting better. Rashawn Gary is getting better. It is true that he's always been underrated and he's always had pretty good numbers and people are just starting to notice it. But it's also true, again, with his grades and everything else, it's more consistent, even the stats. It used to be that he'd have some really good games and then a couple bad or or mediocre grades and stats. Now it's pretty consistent. You've got Devontae and Rodgers who are on a, a streak like I've never seen, and I, I hate to even come anywhere near jinxing that, but it's just a reality. But there's also guys like Alan Lazard who, although not an elite player, you're starting to see a little bit more consistency in what we've what we've always wanted from Lazard, which is I don't need you to be Devontae, right, Lily? We don't need you to be Devontae, but I want you to be a clutch number two, a, a reliable target, the guy that every time... You forget he's there, you end up punching yourself right in the face because it's like, oh, no, I forgot. I forgot this guy's kind of good. Not just in the blocking game, which he's been pretty solid with his entire career, but as a receiver. And although we have not seen that level of consistency from Josiah DeGuara, we're starting to see him and hear his name more and more every week. I mean, to start the season, um, through week seven, he had had two targets for eight yards. That's in six games, weeks one, three, four, five, six, and seven. After that, he's had no less than two targets in a game. He's had yards every single game. So it's not there's not like two targets, no receptions or anything like that. His lowest was three targets, two receptions for five yards against Cleveland in Week 16. But he's been targeted every single game. On top of that, there does seem to be some pretty strong progress in another area, and that's run blocking. And if I'm being completely honest, I think that may be contributing to him being used more... In the receiving game, because you got to remember, this is very similar to what I said about A.J. Dillon as a running back. It's not just how well can you run the ball. If you're on the field, you have to know everything. You have to, first of all, be able to block. You need to be reliable as a receiver, but you also need to know, like, um, there was a a question, but also it was on um, Nagler's sit down with A.J. Dillon or whatever I saw that they had talked about this. But there was basically, there was a play where A.J. got split out and Rodgers, like, right before the snap, he's throwing up a couple hand signals. And that's it. That's all you get. And if you don't know what's going on, you just ruin this whole play. And basically he changed the play real fast, couple flips of the wrist, and then boom, ball gets snapped because we're at zero on the clock. And so not only does he need to know how to go from the backfield way out wide, but he also needs to be paying attention to Aaron Rodgers as he flails this. And even as I'm watching it from a camera about four feet behind Aaron Rodgers, I don't I can't tell how many fingers he's got up. And I mean I can clearly see the hands gesturing this way and that way or whatever, but I don't know what's going on. That's part of it. You have to be able to be reliable out on the field because it's not just static plays. We're not just saying, you run this hole. You stand here, you block. You go there, you run route. If that was it, then you could probably get him out there a little bit sooner. You're going to go over here, you're going to run a quick curl route. All right, cool, I can do that. Maybe not super well, but I can do that. But does Aaron Rodgers trust you? Do we trust you to stay in and protect Aaron Rodgers? Do we trust you to be able to run these routes? Do we trust you to be able to run the ball? But also, do we trust you to understand what conceptually we're asking you to do even if we change the play, or can we just tell Rodgers, hey, we're putting A.J. Dillon out, don't change the play. He doesn't know what's going on. Similarly with Josiah, it's it's a question of, number one, understanding everything and, and all the checks and all the changes and all those kinds of things. That's a baseline. If you don't know those things inside and out, you know, we, we give these guys such a hard time, I can't believe they can't get on the field yet. I can't believe they, I can't believe it. It's been a full year and they still are not out there. Dude. <laughs> there. That was the other thing that they had mentioned on... Um, I don't, forgive me, I don't know what they call it, but it's Nagler's thing where they sit down with A.J. Dillon. But A.J. Dillon was referencing that and talking about how, you know, Aaron sees everything and he's got a, a memory that is just unbelievable. And he knows every play in that book. And there are plays that you haven't heard about, seen about, thought about in six weeks. And he's looking at the defense and he just thinks in a split second, you know what would be perfect? This play. He throws up a couple hand signals and calls a play that you have not seen in half a year. Who knows the last time you practiced this play and you got to go run it. And that might by the way this play design isn't doesn't necessarily have to be with you out there. You're just that guy now. You're just a wide receiver. In other words, this play might if this was the original, if we knew this was the play call, we might not have this personnel out there. This might have been more of a call with Alan Lazard out there as a lead blocker more so than a running back. Who knows? I don't know, but I'm just saying you know, it's it's such a crazy complex thing and you have to be able to do everything you need to be trusted and relied upon and i've been talking about that for a couple of years with the packers and matt lafleur in particular how it's such a cerebral thing with them and if they don't try they would rather have you and this is true about the defense as well we would rather have a a mediocre guy that knows his job inside out and can just execute what i'm asking you to do when i say go here you go here I would love for you to be able to be dominant and pick up the guy in front of you and slam him by his neck. But at the very least, I just need you because this we all work as a unit, and that's offense and defense. It all works as a unit. And if you're messing that up, you blew the whole play. Offensive lineman, if you take a false step, if you think we're going this way and we're actually going that way, you just wreck the whole play. So again, I, I think that's a big part of it. And a lot of us, myself included, a lot of times, we look at Josiah not getting opportunities, we say he must suck. He's a boss, he's not very good at football. He's just. They just need to know that when you go out there, you understand every single detail of this game, and I think he's starting to get there. But on top of that, there is a level of execution that is required. If you're going to play tight end for us, it's great that you can do all these nice little things, right? I, I was excited about him being in that H back role, maybe using him more as a motion guy, and he's he's the decoy tight end, right? He's the guy that's blocking, 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 and then he'll slip out. He's the guy that'll go in motion and, and come block on the edge one play. He'll go in motion and, and run a wheel route the next play. He'll come in motion and, and jut up in the middle of the of the offensive line on the third play. And then on the fourth play, he'll double back the other way. You know what I mean? It's just it's a cool thing for him to be able to do. But at the end of the day, if you can't block, you can't be an effective decoy. I don't care how good of a receiver you are. If they're looking at you saying, this guy's trash as a blocker. I hope he comes and blocks me. I don't even care. Just don't worry about it. We'll deal with it when the when the time comes. You have to be able to do it. All that to say, the one very clear area of progress for Josiah DeGuara is as a run blocker. So when Matt Lafleur said that was his potentially his best game, first of all, statistically clearly that was his best game. As far as his grades, it was up there in the top three with PFF. Basically, it was tied. It was like he's got three games in the seventy sixes. This was a seventy six, but as a run blocker, this was his best game. Not only that, though um, in the first, it, that's basically the same span, uh, weeks one through seven, he had one game where he graded out good. And that was week one against New Orleans 74. We're just talking run blocking right now. Since then it's increased since week eight. So we're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 weeks. He's had one, two, three, four, five games in which he's done a really good job. So we're up to 50% now, but not only that, his good games are really good. He's got Three of those games, of the five, in which he graded out well, are in the 80s as a run blocker. Furthermore, since week 11 are four of those games, so that's four of seven, and two of those games came in the last two weeks, and by the way, both of those are in the 80s. 79.2 technically, and then his highest ever, 86.0. His best game is a run blocker. You say, well, what about pass blocking? Well, the reason I'm saying run blocking as opposed to pass blocking isn't because pass blocking isn't important, but it's because... He's primarily a run blocker. He has run blocked 127 times this year. You know how many times he's been a pass blocker? 16. So um, it's just not a primary requirement. Now now listen, if you're terrible at it, it's still going to be a problem. You still have to be able to do it. He's had very few games where he hasn't asked to do it. The the only thing is when he's asked to do it, at most, it's two times. But you still have to be able to do it. But, But again, the point is, it's all starting to come together. The blocking, the receiving... All of these things. And the great thing about it, and we saw this with A.J. Dillon, and I said it would happen with A.J. Dillon, and I'm telling you it's going to happen with Josiah, just like with Amari, if he ever starts to figure it out. The point is, you start with the basics, right? It was the exact same philosophy with Rashawn Gary. Yes, he can do all these things. Yes, at some point, we want him to be just like Zadarius, where you can move him all over the line. But right now, we just need to take this down defensive end, like he played in college. We need to stand him up as an outside linebacker, and he needs to learn how to rush as an outside linebacker. And that's all he needs to do. We need to teach him to perfect his base primary function, which is to be a stand-up outside linebacker and everything that comes with it, all the pass rushing, as well as all the run defending. Because just that alone, with all the other stuff just taken completely off his plate, that alone is going to take a lot of time for him to really hone and refine. From that point now, we start to see him moving around a little bit more. Now it's going to be a little bit less because we don't have additional guys like Zadarius. We've had, you know, Whitney Merciless. We've had Zadarius. We've had other guys that have gone down. So we're kind of low on players. So we're probably being a little less creative for that reason. I shouldn't say creative, but I mean, you don't really want to move him off his spot because of the lack of depth. But the point is, we now have the ability to start adding on to his plate. Same thing with Josiah. We're starting with the base. We want you to understand the basics. You know, Learn the playbook. Learn the blocking. Learn the routes. Gain Aaron Rodgers' trust as a blocker, as somebody that understands when he checks, you're going to know where to go, and as a receiver so that he throws to you. Now that you're starting to get these things down, now we can start adding a couple things. And this offense is going to get real fun when 24-year-old Josiah DeGuara starts branching out and starts becoming just an absolute nightmare for other teams. And again, it's not because he's an athletic freak. It's just because he puts defenses in an impossible position because you never know what he's going to do. And this is true of the entire offense in general, but he's one of those pivotal pieces. Devontae doesn't operate like he does, right? Devontae isn't going to come in motion and block off the edge. I mean, he might, but I mean, you know, you pretty much know, you don't know what route he's going to run, but you know, he's just going to run a route. Maybe he's going to block for for a receiver coming around, but you know, it's, it's pretty basic. But Josiah is particularly put in a position where you want to take your eyes off of him. When you got a guy that's like a 50-50 blocker receiver, or even less than that as a receiver, it almost operates in a similar function to a mobile quarterback, to where you want to dedicate somebody to pay attention to that possibility of them running, but you are then suddenly a 10-man defense. Because if he's not running and you got a linebacker spying, he's just standing there. Similarly, if you have somebody dedicated to uh, guarding Josiah and he's standing in and blocking, I mean, I guess you can rush at that point. It's sort of a wait and see, and then rush, but then it's a delayed rush, and that's going to be less effective. Then there could also be a delayed reaction from him to still slip out, and then he's wide open, right? Once this guy starts rushing, I'm just going to go right past you. I mean, it's a simple, you know, checkmate. So it's just, it's just a, it's a fun thing, man. I'm excited, but again, he's just he's another guy that is not necessarily an elite player long way to go, but it's a beautiful little piece that's coming on just at the right time. And we still got Mercedes Lewis that can still just be that guy that's, you know, he's a consistent blocker and once or twice a game, he'll slip out and catch that pass and bulldoze for another five yards. Anyways, I want to take a break there. Um, And when we come back, I think we're just going to dip our toe into the draft a little bit. It'll just be a little draft primer. If you could not care any less about any of that stuff, then um, it was good talking to you. I know a lot of people get mad. The season's not over. Why are you doing that? We're in the offseason, man. I want to start talking about a couple names. Plus, we have a lot of time until the Packers play. I can sit here and go through the roster and do the exact same thing I did for Josiah about each individual player if you want, but that's not interesting to me. Let's talk about how great Rodgers is, right guys? But again, I give you the warning. If you don't like it, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Before you go, be sure to check out the GoFundMe for Drew. Uh, as I've mentioned before, Drew is—he uh, was diagnosed with epilepsy. He is looking for help to uh, cover the cost of a seizure service dog. And I'm trying to help him get over that hump and see if we can't get him a dog to help him out um, in his time of need. Anyways, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So it's been a little while since we've done this. Um, I want to go through and look at some of the general names and... Um... See where we're at. Also, keep in mind we have um, several people that are already kind of locked into their draft order. That's basically everybody that uh, is not in the playoffs. That would include Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, New York Jets, the Giants, Carolina, the Giants again, Atlanta, Denver, Jets again, Washington, Minnesota, Cleveland, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the Chargers, and the Saints, and then. Uh, Depending on how the playoffs go, Philadelphia is at the bottom of this list here, which means Philadelphia might be picking 15, 16, and 19. That's crazy. (laughs) That's super crazy. But um, names right now at the top of the list Aiden Hutchinson is at the top. Uh, After that is Kayvon Thibodeau. I have every reason to believe that Detroit is going to be looking at one of those two guys, probably whichever one falls to them. Um, They're huge about being in the trenches and winning in the trenches um, getting guys with a real tough, violent physical mentality. And uh, I think both of those guys fit the bill. I've been kind of out on Kayvon Thibodeau a little bit, but he's had a great year this past year. Um, so as usual, I was the one saying Kayvon Thibodeau is way overrated for a long time. Now, because of Aiden Hutchinson being so dominant, everybody's saying Kayvon Thibodeau is overrated. And I'm like, "Eh, I don't know, man, it's pretty good. But uh, after that is Evan Neal. I don't think they take another offensive lineman, but again, you got three of the top guys here that are all trenches. The only complication would technically come in if some of these guys start to fall, particularly Kayvon Thibodeau, and then you get Jacksonville taking Aiden Hutchinson, in which case, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. Uh, The other guy that's here, Derek Stingley, I've mentioned several times. I think he's going to fall drastically. I don't think he belongs anywhere in the uh, top 10 Potentially, maybe not even a first round pick, but we'll see. I know he's a massive name; he's one of the biggest names. I mean, coming out of high school, he's one of those guys everybody knew his name. But um, he has not lived up to that hype for like three years, so waiting for that to get figured out. I could tell you who Chicago be picking in the top ten, but they lost their draft picks, so they will be picking absolutely nobody. And um, Minnesota picking at twelve, you're looking in the range of, for example. Charles Cross, the offensive tackle, you got an offensive lineman, you got a wide receiver. They probably won't take a wide receiver. The the real interesting thing for Minnesota, though, is you've got a couple quarterbacks that are kind of in this range. Now, it's entirely possible these guys end up going a lot earlier. Um, Quarterback needy teams, for example, Detroit might pull the trigger on a quarterback. I personally think it might be a little early, but they could. Houston certainly could be in the the market for a quarterback. Um, The Giants may be looking to move on. Carolina maybe in the market for a quarterback. Atlanta is probably looking for a quarterback. Denver, Washington. So there, there's a lot of teams that might pull the trigger. But sitting at pick eight is Kenny Pickett. Sitting at pick 12 is Matt Corral. So it'll be interesting if these guys do fall. And remember, the, the Vikings were planning on trading up to get, um, supposedly planning up to get Justin Fields, and the Bears ended up jumping ahead and getting them before the Vikings could. So they're they're particularly on the market. Um it's just a matter of if these guys are going to fall far enough and and by the way, if they end up drafting one of these guys more than likely they're going to want to trade up to do it. It doesn't usually happen that you just let them fall into your lap especially with quarterback hungry teams. So they may be looking to put together a package possibly giving away next year's first round pick or whatever. Um see if they can't move up into, uh, you know, 7 range or so, possibly top 5, I don't know. But then for Green Bay, if you look toward the back, and again, this is very, um, very early, but as of right now, some of the names starting in like the 20-ish range, um, first of all, some really solid wide receivers. And that's pretty much all I've really looked at so far. And some of these guys I really, really, really like. And not only wide receivers, but the wide receivers that the Packers seem to really like, which are big guys. I know we may need to be looking for a speed guy to replace MVS, but even so, I doubt they're going to end up getting a tiny one. So, I mean, you got Chris Olave, who's currently sitting at 19, probably won't fall that far, but Traylon Burks is a, a very well... And it's one of those situations, too, where it's like, well, th- that guy will never fall. Well, that guy will never fall. Well, somebody has to. Somebody has to. They can't all be too good to fall. But, I mean, just looking at, from 19, Chris Olave, wide receiver. Traylon Burks, who I like a lot, wide receiver out of Arkansas. Kenyon Green, interior offensive lineman out of Texas A&M. I think that's a possibility. Nicobe Dean, linebacker out of Georgia. I think that would be fantastic. Again, not based on my personal preference. I'm just talking positional value. Jordan Davis, defensive lineman, works for me. Drake London, another really big wide receiver, works for me. Uh, Kaira Alam, cornerback, probably not so much. Trevor Penning, offensive tackle. Depends on what our plans are with guys like Elton Jenkins and whatnot, but I think tackle is a possibility. Uh, Jahan Dotson, wide receiver out of Penn State, another wide receiver. Uh, Quarterback Malik Willis, if, if the Packers really wanted to send everybody into the absolute loony bin, draft Malik Willis. Uh, Jaquan Brisker, safety. I'd mentioned yesterday the possibility that the Packers may be looking to um, to get a safety to possibly move on from um, Adrian Amos, as much as that would make me incredibly sad. you got to start looking at some point, and uh, I think that could make sense. And this is a guy in that range. We're up to 29 right now at 30. Drake Jackson, edge rusher. Why would you get an edge rusher? Well, we don't know the fate of Zadarius and Preston Smith. And if we just have Rashawn, no disrespect disrespect to Rashawn, you want to at least have another guy and and just depth and everything else is going to become problematic. It seems ridiculous just from a depth standpoint to get rid of two guys, but we know what kind of a serious situation we're in financially, and I don't know what we're going to be able to pull off. So it is a possibility for a guy like Drake Jackson. Uh, Trayvon Walker defensive lineman out of Georgia. Obviously, defensive line makes sense. Uh, Trent McDuffie is a corner. Sam Howell is a quarterback. Another cornerback, another quarterback. And then you got Daxton Hill, safety. Darian Kennard, offensive tackle. Kingsley Igbare, edge rusher. David Bell, wide receiver. Zion Johnson, interior offensive line. So there's a lot of positions in this range where it's like, yeah, that, that'll work for me. Granted, there's not a lot of positions I'm looking at that it's like, oh, we don't want, we don't really need that. Even corner, as much as it would make people mad and first round, probably a little bit too early. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they get a corner at some point. So safety makes sense. Corner, maybe later. Linebacker, I think, makes sense. I know we got a guy that's awesome, but what's the long-term option? Is is, uh, Devondre even going to stay beyond this year? If he is, for how long? Defensive line, definitely would love some additional help next to Kenny. Edge rusher, I think we're going to need it. Offensive line, I don't know exactly where, but I know we need help. Again, depends on who stays, who goes, and what position everybody's playing. Is Billy staying? Is Lucas Patrick staying? Is Elton the guard, a center, or a tackle? Well, he's not a center. Obviously, Josh Myers is, but you get my point. Tight end, I wouldn't think is massively important, but I wouldn't entirely rule it out. Again, I don't know the fate of Robert Tunyon, um, how long he's going to be sticking around. Josiah is fine, but I still think they're going to want to get the um, the receiving tight end, the 50% of your snaps are in the slot tight end as opposed to your H-back in-line type of tight end. Now, there's also the Mercedes Lewis type of of largely just in-line type stuff, but I don't think those guys will ever go in the first round. That may be something the Packers explore like in the sixth round, maybe a little earlier because they care, but that's that's how late those types of tight ends that nobody wants will fall. Wide receiver, I think, is a massive need. No, Not because Devontae's leaving, but because uh, I think a lot of other guys will be. Now, again, this, this is not a... Um, This is not necessarily who will or won't be here at this point. There's going to be a lot of different movement of guys going up, guys going down. And this is the time of year that that happens more so than anything. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I talked a little bit about the wide receiver, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. But I just want to pick a couple of guys at these positions that are in this range just to give a general overview of what they're about. and And then we'll call it a day. And I want to start with wide receiver because, again, I think we've done this already. So I'm going to grab like two or three and then we'll move on quickly. But uh, Traylon Burks, six foot three, 225, which obviously is just a a beautiful thing for uh, Brian Gudekunst and, and Matt LaFleur. They, they, they just see 6'3", 225, and they get all giddy about it. But even as a wide receiver, 85.3 overall grade, a lot of inconsistency. It's either very, very good or, or kind of bad. Um, almost half of his games were graded in the 80s, 82, 82, 85, 87, and a 91. Um, but he also had three down in the 50s, so it's kind of... Uh, depends on those kinds of things but last two years 82 overall and 85 overall 1100 yards 11 touchdowns he actually lined up uh 67.7 percent of the time in the slot so it's one of those situations where if you're looking for that big slot type of a guy that's where he has the the uh, primary amount of his experience all three years that he's been at Arkansas it's actually gone down 67.7 percent of his snaps in the slot this past year is the least the year prior to that, it was 80. The year prior to that, it was 85. Um, contested catch rate, not exactly where you'd like it to be for a six foot three, two 225-pound guy, but uh, 43.8 in 2021, 48.9 as a career statistic. But uh, 155.3 passer rating when targeted, that's that's pretty solid. Obviously, the biggest thing everybody wants to know, can he block? Well, he's never really stayed into pass block. His rush run blocking grade is about a 60. It's a little below that. So um, not super dominant, but I still think it's one of those things where Matt Lafleur or Brian Gutekunst come in and say, "With that size, we'll teach you. We will show you the ways." I mean, they, they got Devonte doing it. They got all these guys doing it. Um, you, you teach them the proper technique and everything, and, and you really emphasize it. I don't see why he wouldn't. He might not be Alan Lazard, but he'll he'll get in the way. After that, you got Drake London. Drake London is more tall than just big. He's six foot five, two hundred and ten pounds. Two ten isn't that. Um, it's not that small necessarily, but when you're six foot five, it's pretty lean. And you can see that on tape. Um, This is a guy who's really exploded. And this is the kind of stuff that gets me excited when you see that continued progression. In 2019, he had a 65 overall grade, 567 yards, five touchdowns. In 2020, 502 yards, three touchdowns, but 70.6 overall grade. And then this past year, 91.3 overall grade, 91.8 receiving grade, 1,084 yards and seven touchdowns. He blew up. Um, He did miss a little bit of time, it looks like, but um, he played in eight games. His lowest grade was a 67.8. He had 68 yards and a touchdown in that game. Um, Most of his games were right in the 80s. Um, Every game was 70s or higher for him, with the exception of the one uh, basically 68 overall grade. Um, His contested catch rate, much better, 60, basically 68%. He caught 19 of 28 uh, contested catch passes or whatever. Uh, Drake is definitely not a slot guy. He's going to line up opposite um, Devontae. He's going to be that uh, Mike Evans type of player, just a big outside jump ball kind of a guy. I really am a big fan of Drake London. I like him a lot. I didn't expect to. I never, ever like these really big, tall guys. I feel like they're all very stiff and they got one move. They can't get any separation. They jump up, they catch 50-50 balls, and I'm like, that's not going to work in the NFL. That doesn't seem to be the case with Drake London from what I've seen. And so I am pretty excited about him. I I think, again, I haven't watched a ton, and I barely remember what I even saw, but I do like Drake a lot. Jahan Dotson, the 5'11", 184-pound guy. These are the guys that I typically like because they're just short, shifty, speedy. Doubt the Packers would even take a flyer on him unless he really falls, or they just think that he's fantastic or what they're looking for. But 87 overall grade. He's played for four years, had a big breakout year, Um, 1,182 yards, 12 touchdowns. Um, obviously not a very high contested catch rate, only 41%, which is what you would expect. Um, he's not primarily a slot guy, only 23%, 76% is out wide for him. But obviously you're getting your big play threat there. Uh, again, I doubt the Packers are interested in a 5'11", 184 pound wide receiver. As much as I may want that, it's not going to happen. Anyways, switching gears, looking at a couple other positions, we'll cut it off there. Um, kind of just going between 20 and you know, 30s-ish. Not really going in any particular order other than just what's next on the list. But uh, Kenyon Green, the guard out of Texas A&M. Again, this is assuming the Packers go in this direction. 6'4", 325 pounds, played three years. He has gotten better every year. Kind of his big breakout was year two, but 62, 75, and then basically an 80. Um, the biggest issue with him, though, is that he's a just a road-grading run blocker, which is great, but you have to be a good pass blocker. He has a 65 overall pass-blocking grade. The years prior was 63 and 40, so although it's getting better, and maybe the Packers see something there, um, he's way too volatile. I mean, he's got some great pass-blocking games, but he's got some terrible ones too. His best games: 87-85, 85-80, but he's also got a 55, a 47, a 44, and a 2.2, which is just kind of crazy. He's only given up one sack on the season, but 10 total pressures, um, and for whatever reason, they just are really not a big fan of, of what he's done. So that is going to be the biggest concern. But again, if you're looking for, if, if if you believe that he can be a good pass blocker for whatever reason, you're doing your whole scouting thing and you think he's he'll be fine, he can handle this, that, or the other. Okay, great. Then you're potentially talking about a guy that can pass block, but also can just throw people around in the run game, which I think the Packers are going to be interested in. Sticking with offensive linemen, you got Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa. Um, anytime you get a small school person, I'm not saying they're bad, but generally they tend to fall. Um, but as of right now, he is seen as uh, 26th overall on the big board, so pretty impressive guy. He also, again, you're getting that trajectory out of life. First of all, four years, which is important, but you got 65, 62, then 71, then 81, so he finally, in his final year, had his big breakout, which is great. Um, every year, he got better as a pass blocker, 68, 75, 83, 85, He allowed one uh, one sack, 13 pressures on the season, 98.3 pass blocking efficiency grade, which was his highest uh, efficiency grade of his career. Um, And as a run blocker, he really also broke out, which is uh, pretty cool because he was pretty static at being subpar for three straight years, 64, 62, 64, and then 81.7. Wasn't dominant every week. It wasn't a consistency thing, kind of like pass blocking, where the guy was just great every single week. I mean, literally and this is what's going to make him the most appealing, but 76, 78, 73, 85, 66, 90, 79, 72, 78, 77, 72, 83. That's his pass blocking grades. It's just, you know, occasionally he's got a really good game, but otherwise it's just solid, 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 solid. Run blocking's a little more 60, 90, 70, 60, but there are nothing really terrible. Nothing terrible. So, Um, again, the the biggest thing is going to be the school that he went to and and all the other little nitpicky things. It's hard to just look at statistics and grades because that's all based on, um, it's not the, the, the competition level is not factored in, but that's for the, uh, the big brains to figure out. Bottom line, he's done a very good job. similar to Brady Christensen, right? The guy was just one of the most dominant. I mean, he had like 99 overall grades and everything else, but he wasn't going up against Alabama every week. Not that anybody ever does, but you get my point. Switching it up a little bit again, no particular uh order that at least makes sense but nicobe dean uh linebacker for georgia and there's a a good amount of uh, georgia defenders which makes sense and their stock is probably just going to continue to go up now that they won the championship but uh, nicobe dean six foot 225 again sort of a breakout player 74 in in year one 68 in year two which is a slight step back but then 91.7 this year he did start to have a couple bad games so he was super consistent from week one to week nine just very very good basically anywhere from good to elite. But then he had a 49 overall grade in week 10. Uh, didn't do anything well, but really struggled against the run. He had a 62 again in week 12. He had a 67 in week 13. And then the final championship game, granted it's Alabama, but those are the games you want to shine in. He had a 54 overall grade, but still on the season, a 91.7. Don't have his measurables, but you have to assume that he is a, a speedy sideline to sideline guy. Um, his coverage grade was a 90.4. Again, inconsistent, but that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, when you look at an 80 run defense grade, a 75 tackling grade, a 91 pass rush grade, and a uh, 90 coverage grade, again, every single one of those is inconsistent on a week-to-week basis. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad, but this guy can do absolutely everything. He had 31 pressures on the season, including eight sacks on 118 attempts. He had 42 stops and a forced fumble uh, 21 receptions on 36 targets for 122 yards. He didn't give up a single touchdown. He had two interceptions, two pass breakups, 41.7 passer rating when targeted. So again, the inconsistency is concerning. He's going to have some really good days. He's going to have some really bad days. And who knows, maybe when you get to the NFL, it's going to be mostly bad days. But, um, he's, he's just one of those guys that's got the skill set that some coaches are going to look at and say, I can make this guy a star. And usually that doesn't end up happening. Um, but he's going to be he's going to be sought after for sure. Looking at uh, defensive tackles, we got Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Jordan Davis, six foot six, three forty. That is a massive human being. My goodness. Um, obviously, what you're getting. I mean, six foot six is is the other thing that's surprising. But obviously, what you're getting with this is sort of your Snacks Harrison type, a very tall Snacks Harrison, but a Snacks Harrison type. Um, he is going to be more of a run defender. His pass rush grade is a 69. He has 14 pressures on 221 attempts, which is not at all what you want. Um, especially in college when the numbers are a little bit inflated. You expect that to decrease a little bit when you get to the pros. Maybe it goes up. I don't know. Good coaches. But run defense is where he shines. For four years at Georgia, his grades have been 80, 74, 81, and 82. His highest was this year. Um, But you're also getting, again, that inconsistency. So I'm not a big fan just based on real quick glance. Um, When you're 6'6", 340, and about half your games are good and half are not, to put it into more specific context – One, two, three, four, five, six games he had that were 70 or higher. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight were below 70. Three of them were below 60, and one of them was below a 50 against Georgia Tech. He had a 49 overall grade. So, you know, it's not that he's going to be bad, but if you're only doing one thing for me, if if I'm pretty sure you're not going to be a really good pass rusher, and I just got you in there to, to stop the run, I want you to be really, really good at it. And he is, 81.8 overall grade is fine, and he's been consistently good at it for four years, but um, I don't know, I just, I'd just i like to see a little bit more consistency, but I don't know, I'll have to watch him, I might end up loving the guy, but we'll see how it goes. Um, there is another defensive tackle on this list, but he's technically an edge rusher, so I'm, I guess we can switch, because we're done with that, so we'll look at edge rushers, we got two of those guys, Trayvon Walker is an edge rusher for um, Georgia, Pretty clear what we want him to be able to do, and that's rush the passer. Unfortunately, um, and again, you're talking first round pick, man. Um, The grade, it did go up, but 56, 70, and 71, that's not overly impressive. Uh, Statistically, or well, his pass rush grade is a 65, which is not impressive, and that's pretty much on par with what he's been for three years. But then you look at statistics 34 pressures, 381 attempts, that's just kind of bad. 34 pressures, five sacks, Um, he does have a 73 run defense grade. But um, that's up massively from 44, 64, and 73. I do like a good breakout, but that makes me nervous that that's, you know, what if it's an anomaly? And then you look at the consistency, and again, not even half the year has he graded out as a good run defender. So um, I tend to think Trayvon is going to fall a little bit, because I don't really see anything here, other than he's a Georgia pass rusher. The other edge rusher in this range, Drake Jackson, 6'4", 250. Um, He's got a pretty solid breakout. 69 uh, in 2019, 71 in 2020, and then an 82 in 2021. Uh, 26 pressures on 182 attempts. That's obviously a lot closer to what we'd like to see. Um, There is still the inconsistency, but when you look at what matters, the pass rush, the grade is an 87. It's not like a 65, and he's a better run defender. Now, if you're going in the first round, you're a pass rusher. There is inconsistency. He's got four games that are pretty subpar. And he only played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 games. So 30 ish percent. But again, you're talking 26 pressures on 182 attempts. He only had one game with zero pressures. So it's not like they were all stacked up in one spot. Um, he did have one game with six pressures and three sacks against Colorado. That accounted for 50% of his sacks, which is another thing you got to look at. If you remove Colorado, he's only got three sacks on the season. That's not super great. Uh, He had another game against Arizona with five pressures, another game against Oregon State with five pressures. Um, It's not ideal. I don't know that he's worthy of a first round, but I would certainly take him over Trayvon Walker because at least he does what I want him to do. The numbers are there. The grades are there. Not the consistency necessarily. Also, I see he's missed several weeks, so there's probably some injury history there. Uh, 6'4", 250 is on the smaller end of things for what the Packers seem to like. You're looking more in the 265, 270 range, but it's an option. Anyways, finally, I want to look at safety. Uh, we'll, we'll include Daxton Hill. He's a little further on this list than I'd like, but at least then we have two of them. But to start off, we got Jaquan Brisker. He is the uh, safety out of Penn State. Six foot one, 200 pounds. He didn't have a breakout, but he didn't need one. His grades over three years, 82, 83, and 82. Basically, Well, 82, 82.8, 82.4. So it's, I mean, that's wildly consistent. Um, his week-to-week grades are also fairly consistent, um, no super, super high games, no super, super low games with the exception of maybe like one each, uh, his best game came against Washington. He is designated here as a strong safety. So that could work a little bit with what you see Adrian Amos do. Obviously you're going to have some, uh, free safety duties, probably a lot of them, but you see Amos do a lot of work in terms of coming up and run support and all that kind of stuff. In terms of where he grades out really well though, despite being a strong safety coverage is his strength. He's got almost a 90 overall grade as opposed to his run defense, which is a 67, even his tackling is a 66. And that's going to be a major concern. Adrian Amos is a phenomenal tackler. And to uh, have, let's see, 47 tackles, 10 missed tackles, 13.5% missed tackle rate is not super fantastic. As a coverage guy, uh, 12 receptions on 21 targets, 105 yards. He gave up one touchdown, has two picks, four pass breakups, 46.8 passer rating when targeted. So um, yeah, he's, he's, Playing as a strong safety for Penn State, I just, I don't know. At 6'1", 200, clearly a better coverage guy than he is anything to do with tackling or whatever. Um, Certainly would make me nervous, especially if I'm going to designate him as our box guy or whatever. But again, it's an option. Do I think he goes in the first round? I do not. But some, you know, who knows? Guys with bad grades go in the first round all the time. Finally, we've got Daxton Hill out of Michigan, 6'192", 192. Very consistent, just with slightly lesser grades, 71, 72, 76, so consistent, but slightly going up. Um, In this case, you do have a guy that's pretty even across the board, 75 or 76 overall grade, 76 run defense grade, 74 tackling grade, 77 pass rush grade, 73 coverage grade. Um, You do have the wild inconsistencies, which again, I don't like, but over the course of the season, solid. Um, His missed tackle rate is a little bit better at 12.3%. He missed 10 he has 51 tackles, 20 assisted tackles, um, 48 receptions on 68 targets for 456 yards. Uh, he gave up one touchdown. He has two picks and six pass breakups. Uh, it's also should be noted, actually, you know, Daxton is actually listed as a corner. He's, he's a safety slash slot guy is what you're getting with him, which actually might not be the worst thing in the world considering we may be looking for a new slot corner. Potentially, I don't know. But if you get a sort of corner slash or slot guy slash safety hybrid, it's an option. But again, you're, you're definitely getting a more coverage-based guy when you're looking at the safety slot hybrid types. So anyways, again, just a, a sort of a quick brief overview of, um, of the guys that potentially the Packers could be interested in that are potentially in the range that we're looking for. As we continue to zoom in, we'll kind of monitor as guys go up and down. And I'll be uh, looking a little bit more at people that I prefer, regardless of where they're they're at. Also, let me know what you think about uh, prospects and whatnot. But uh, you folks have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.